My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 25 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my conversation with CEO of Inward, Robbie Bent, who recently emerged from an eight-day darkness retreat. In the darkness, you're like so alone and so isolated and not even like your body there for comfort. So if you can see things, you can see yourself in a mirror, your hands, it's like, hey, I'm a person. In the darkness, you're, you're nothing, you're nobody. And there's nothing, there's nowhere you can look, you close your eyes, it looks the same, there's no stimulation there. And so this idea of like, if I died, am I alone? And then there's like real fear. In the space with no stimulation, you're like at that level and starting to, you know, you think about that, it's scary. It's like, okay, I'm gonna be gone. Who am I? Do I still exist? And like feeling these things, and it's kind of destabilizing. Of it just led to a lot of, of self-reflection and questioning. The thing I also realized is why all cultures have restriction, like all religions, you know, fasting, prayer. These styles reduce stim- these things reduce stimulation, right? And so the more restriction you have the more you can enjoy regular moments. The simple things are amazing. Uh, And sometimes by giving yourself less, you can enjoy other things more, which is pretty counterintuitive. So I was going to release a solo episode this week speaking to the topic of psychedelic leadership, But I had just recorded this epic interview with Robbie Bent just this past Friday, and I was just really excited for you guys to hear this. Because I don't know if you've also noticed, but there seems to be this recent surge of interest in what's called a darkness retreat. And Robbie just happened to emerge from eight days in total darkness. And what he shared in this conversation was just so interesting. And this is definitely up there for me in terms of one of my favorite conversations I've had on this podcast. And so Robbie's just a really cool guy. He spent four years leading ecosystem growth at the Ethereum Foundation. So for those of you who are into crypto, you've been watching what's been happening with Ethereum lately. And now he's the CEO of a company called Inward, a healthy experience company building beautiful community spaces around ice baths and saunas. And it also has the largest library of breathwork content in the world. And I am just such a huge supporter of what his team is building with Inward, which we actually barely touch on, only at the end. So I'm going to have either Robbie or someone else from his team come back on really soon to dive into the topic of breathwork, because I haven't covered that yet on the podcast, and I definitely want to dive into that topic as well. But in the show notes and on the resources tab of my website, there's a link for you to try Inward Breathwork, which again has this vast library of breathwork sessions for three free days. I highly recommend checking that out. But for this conversation, we dove right into Robbie's recent experience attending a darkness retreat at Sky Cave Lodge located in Oregon. And what he shares is just so freaking wild. 
And so I've become friends with Robbie because I co-moderate his Monday night rooms on Clubhouse called The Weekly Deep Dive with him and some other really cool folks from Vine Ventures, who I'm also going to be interviewing for this podcast. And we've had some really amazing guests and conversations in that Clubhouse on The Weekly Deep Dive. So if you want to join us, that happens every Monday night from 6 to 8 p.m. And you can also follow me on Clubhouse at Live Free Laura D., And I also host weekly rooms on microdosing and psychedelic leadership and all the fun topics on Tuesday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. PST. And I also host other panels and special guests, more like pop-up rooms throughout the week as well. But if you follow me at Live Free Laura D and turn on the notifications, you'll be notified anytime I schedule a room in the psychedelic clubhouse. And I've been really enjoying clubhouse for a lot of different reasons lately, but primarily because it compliments the podcast so nicely because when we're in a clubhouse room, we can actually have a two-way conversation. So if you're ever in one of my rooms and you want to come up on stage and say hi, and if it's in the flow and we have space for it, just raise your hand and or send me a message on Instagram. And I usually keep my DMs open when I'm hosting my Tuesday night rooms. And just let me know that you listen to the podcast and you'd love to say hi. And I'd love to hear the work that you're doing in this world as well. And I've recently been receiving a lot more messages through Instagram and email from people asking me more personal questions that they'd like to hear me respond to on this podcast and more of my thoughts around psychedelic leadership, especially from a female perspective. So I have a couple of fun solo episodes in the works that I'm excited to share with you, but I'm just putting an open invitation out there feel free, reach out and ask me anything you want. You know, I'm honestly such an open book, especially around my growth process and my personal process and what I'm learning through life, which is really the only thing that I consider myself to be an expert in. And and even that's questionable, you know, when we start to understand the true nature of reality and just how subjective all of our experiences are. I don't think any of us can call ourselves experts in anything, really. But just sharing openly, you know, my personal experiences and what life and plant medicines have taught me and what my journey has shown me along the way, you know, but I have so much more to learn and there's so much that I don't know and that I'm really not qualified to speak to or an expert in. And just, you know, learning so much every day with every step I take on this path. But if there's anything you're curious about, a question you'd like to ask me personally, or just a larger topic you'd like me to speak to, or a guest that you'd love for me to feature on the show, just send me a message on Instagram at D or through my website at livefreelauraD.com. And I've recently had a few people send me messages wondering where I've been on Instagram. And my first thought was, wow, thanks for noticing. (laughs) And honestly, I've just been so full gearing up for my three-month microdosing mastermind program. And I'm also in the process of onboarding a new assistant. And on that note, I have some really big projects in the works, including this nonprofit that I'm working on called Grow Medicine, which I've mentioned just a couple of times previously in some intros on this podcast. And I'm really holding the vision of building more of a team. And I'll be adding some positions that I'm looking to fill on my website in the next few weeks. But if you've been following the podcast or been following my journey on Instagram and you feel resonant with my message and the work that I'm doing and also have some solid skill sets that you'd love to share and you want to join the psychedelic leadership team, definitely feel free to reach out and send me a message and let's see where we might be able to collaborate or plug you into some of the bigger projects we're working on. 
And I'm always open to ideas around collaboration. So if you ever have any ideas on how we can play together in this space, please don't hesitate to reach out and just connect. Also, on a personal note, I'm moving through a really big transition in my own life right now as I'm coming out of a decade-long marriage and relationship, and I'm holding the vision for building my dream home somewhere really, really special. And I've been on the big island for about a decade, and I definitely want to keep roots here, but I'm also open to new possibilities. So feel free to share with me what you love about the community you're living in, or if you're also holding the vision for living in a community with like-minded people, maybe we can build something together. In a perfect world, I'd love to create a community hub here in Hawaii, one in Costa Rica, and one in California. So just planting seeds of possibility here. And I'll be leaving this episode off with a song that I thought would be the perfect fit for this particular episode with Robbie Bent. It's called Intend and Surrender by a super dear friend and medicine sister, Tara Davina, who also happens to be the most incredible Vedic astrologer I've ever met. So if you're feeling the call to book a session with her, I'll include her email in the show notes. She doesn't know that I'm doing this, but I highly recommend dropping in with her if you feel any call to work with an astrologer. If you're going through a big transition in your life, it's so nice to have that kind of outside perspective and support. And Tara is amazing on so many different levels. So just let her know that I sent you. I also feature a number of Tara's songs throughout my four playlists for Psychedelic Journeys and beyond. And if you haven't yet accessed those, you can swipe those on the freebies tab of my website, livefreelauraD.com. Okay, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Robbie Bent, sharing his experience of his eight-day darkness retreat. So please let me know what you think of this episode. Oh my goodness, Mr. Robbie Bend. What's up? It's really good to see you, brother. How you doing? Good. It's cool to see you, like actually your face. You know, I feel like I kind of know you now because we've talked a bunch of times, but never, never by video. Yeah. For people listening, we do these Monday night clubhouses. Robbie leads the Monday night clubhouse in the psychedelic clubhouse. And they're, they've just been amazing conversations, Robbie. And it's been really cool to get to know you in these ways. We've had all sorts of really cool guests. So it's been fun getting to know you in that way. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then, yeah, just private combos about uh, all the stuff you're doing. I love this. I actually just started microdosing for the first time in a few years. I used to be pretty into it. And then I stopped for quite a while. And then I just started. And so it just made me think a lot more about you over the last couple of weeks because I've actually been finding... I always kind of had this idea that like uh, microdosing, I don't know, is it really doing something? And it's really having a huge impact on me the last uh, little bit. So it's been it's been fantastic. Oh my gosh, are you wearing an aura ring? Yeah. Now look at us, bam, bam on the aura rings. <laughs> so uh, I love how we're just diving right into the conversation here. Let's definitely talk about microdosing in a moment. But from my understanding, Robbie, you have officially emerged from the darkness and stepped into the light. So I'd love for you to tell us, what is a darkness retreat? How do you feel? What the hell happened in there? How long were you in there? Are you born again? How does it feel to be in the light? (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, I found a lot of power resetting 
my nervous system, like kind of taking breaks from stimulation. The first was with Vipassana retreats. I've done those a few times. Next was with psychedelics, both on like long form retreat, which probably many listeners are, are familiar with. And then, you know, short form with therapist. And then now this, this was sort of a new modality I'd heard about. And I at first thought it was kind of crazy. It was like, you know, somebody came into our community. We get a lot of people who are very, very into this stuff. And it's like, oh man, it's like a thing that like turns the melatonin in your brain to DMT and like that kind of vibe. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? Like, there's no way that happens. And I actually did some research and there's, there's not much there, but there's some papers from Montak Chia explaining this idea that, you know, the, the, your brain when not exposed to light, the melatonin builds up and builds up and builds up until it's full and then actually converts to penaline and, and DMT and leads to hallucinatory states. I'm not personally sure that's exactly what's happening. However, this has been a sacred practice for thousands of years. Uh, it's a practice for advanced meditators and it's taken very, very seriously. And so when I see stuff like that, it really piques my interest. Uh, I'd heard about it on uh, Aubrey Marcus's podcast also and uh, through another friend. And so I'd heard about it that first time, thought like, this guy's crazy. I heard about it a second time. I was like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. And I was very intrigued by the challenge of it. And then uh, I reached out to the owner. So the place was called Sky Cave Retreats. It's the only one in the US. And I spoke with the owner and he really impressed me just as somebody who was very grounded and present. And, you know, he'd done probably 20 Vipassana retreats. He'd lived in isolation for years. And when I spoke with him, to me, it wasn't the idea of all oh, the psychedelic experience. It was like, you know, he explained it's, it's ultimate stillness and relaxation. Whereas a Vipassana retreat is very disciplined, right? Like these meditation retreats often 10 hours a day or up at 4.30, no talking. You know, the, the food you eat is very strict. It's, it's a very rigorous practice. And it's also extremely physically demanding. And, you know, well, we can get into that too. But uh, this practice was like very much about relaxation and letting go and moving completely away from your identity. And when he explained that to me, it was something that like, wow, I have trouble relaxing and surrendering and letting go and I'm overstimulated. And so I heard that and I was like, well, wow, that sounds really cool. Like, I wonder what that's like for just hours on end, like being completely alone, so alone that you can't even see yourself or an image of yourself. There's no nothing coming in. So what happens to your, your frame of reference? So that really, really intrigued me. So I booked it. And then leading up to the retreat, I think, cause I knew it was coming. I was pushing myself like pretty much harder than ever. And so I wrote a, an article, which we can link in the show notes, but a lot of bad habits started to build up during COVID that were, were uncommon to my life before. And, you know, all of a sudden I was booking way more meetings via zoom and way less in person time. And so when you're booking meetings, they're just like back to back to back. And all of a sudden I'm not eating properly. I started an online business because our physical business was closed. And so now I had two businesses I had to worry about. So I just had way more to do. Uh, I stopped going to the gym because gyms were closed. And then I spent way more time on Twitter and I was always looking for news about like vaccinations I, there was a lot of fear, like what's going on? You know, mm -hmm. I want to be up on the pulse, like what's happening here. And for my businesses also wondering, 
Am I going to have to close? Like trying to like, can I figure this out? And so way more time. I haven't used social media in years. And so I, I had Twitter on my phone and I'm like looking at it and then crazy changes in prices for like stocks and crypto. I started looking at that. So now I'm in a, in a space where all day long I'm in front of my computer. I've got like my phone open all the time. I'm like even watching movies and like looking at my phone and I'm just so stimulated and there's no release. Like there was no exercise. There was no social hangout, which if we go and hang out, we're having this conversation one-to-one. If I'm on my computer, I'm in like six Slack channels and like a bunch of Telegram channels and looking at email and like, there's just so much. And so your brain, I did a bunch of research. So there's this, there's this concept called dopamine fasting. And it's the idea that when you're overstimulated and, and you see this with drug use. And so I used to have a cocaine problem. It's very familiar with what it feels like. And felt the same way with my phone. And the more intense the stimulation, the more you need to feel normal. And so leading up to the dark retreat, all these habits that like had never been a problem for me before, you know, this excess stimulation with no release, uh, I just was not feeling good. And then like, I would, you know, work all day and then eat Uber Eats at night and like a giant pizza and then and would just feel like shit. And so the idea like I could enjoy my normal time became harder and harder. Like my meditation practice slowed going outside for walks. Wasn't as enjoyable because I would be like just thinking all the time and it happened slowly. It really wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, just each one stacked on each other. And like, I have a wellness center in my backyard and like, I have all these practices. And even with that, it was just like really hard. And I think people probably listening can resonate with just like this feeling of overwhelm, not enough connection, it's like common, you know, I saw through our community, thousands of people that would come for, for hot and cold sessions, like one-on-one and just be like, yeah, I'm struggling. Right. Mm-hmm. And like so many people after I wrote that article reached out to me and were like, wow, I, I really feel what you're talking about. Like I'm struggling also. And so I think in that case, the answer when you're, you know, is, is less stimulation and like slowing down and it doesn't have to be a dark retreat. It can be a day in nature, you know, uh, mm-hmm. going to a cottage, like just turning your phone off, sitting in your house, you know, going for a walk. And so that was a lot of the reasons why, like now was the time for me to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you went into how many days of darkness and are we talking like pitch black darkness? Yeah. So I went in the, the space itself is like, it's like kind of a dream world. It's like a utopia, you know, it's like you, you drive, uh, outside of Ashland, Oregon, you drive like into the woods, you know, long dirt road in nature, like raw nature in the mountains. And there was a commune of, you know, maybe 25 people growing uh, food, 90 vegetables on the land, living in like tree houses and yurts and houses, kind of whatever you could build on the land. It really respected the land also, which I hadn't had. I've always lived in big cities and urban centers, and I don't have a ton of experience building stuff with my hands or like living in in nature. And so to see people so excited about the lands and like treating it fairly was really inspiring. So that was really cool. People, everyone who lives there, obviously, if you go and like live in this kind of community, you're like probably an awesome person or like an interesting person. So very interesting crew. Um, but when I got there, I didn't know anybody and, and, you know, they took me right into the the site. And so the, the retreat itself was dug out of the ground and then replastered. So it's kind of like underground a bit and then replastered with uh, this clay material. So legitimately feels 
like a cave. Like it's it's wow. damp. It's got this like gritty feel. And and I remember being inside, and you know he turns off the lights and just like to give me a taste when I first got there. Put my stuff down. I go in, kind of look, and it's like a ten foot by ten foot room, maybe you know. So there's a bed, a toilet, a bath, and that's it. And like quite small, comfortable, but uh, and then a cubby they pass your food through at night. And so, you know, you, you go and you open the cubby and there'll be six containers. You'll take them out also in the complete darkness. And it's, it's so dark. Like I was actually shocked at how dark it was when they shoot the light <laughs> off because you're not really ever in normal life in complete darkness. Like there's always like a street light or, you know, something through the window or like a little, you're fo- like just a little bits, the moon, little bits of light, um, so in, when you're in complete darkness, it's like a wild sensation. And when that happens, uh, I was, I was like, wow, this is real. Like I, you put your hand in front of your face and it never adjusts, you know, the whole time. And, and you're used to like being, okay, it's a dark room. And you know, you, you sit for a few minutes and then you can kind of see the outlines of things and you, you cannot see anything to the point of, if you're walking and you maybe think you're turning like 15 degrees, but you turn 20 you kind of get lost in where you are in the room. And so you don't even like spinning around, you don't know. So it's very easy to like lose your, your bearings based on wow. how dark it is. Wow. So that in itself was uh, was quite wild, yeah. Okay, before we get into like revelations, like how was the food and how comfortable was the bed? I would say the bed would be my biggest complaint, would be like, yeah, it could be more comfortable, like was not comfortable. And so in... A Vipassana retreat, they have an actual like precept that like returning students will not sleep on like, I forget, like luxurious beds. And so I kind of thought that was the vibe. It's it's like meant to be mm-hmm. challenging in, in some ways. And so, yeah, I, I felt it was uncomfortable. It was sort of like a rock, uh, kind of like this rock clay material and then a slight mattress on it. So very like, you know, aesthetic practice, like monk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. style and then the food was fantastic and the family that made it you know the the owners scott and his wife were just amazing people mm-hmm. he really helps he would come once per night and so you, there's a couple options you can choose to take all your food in and have absolutely no human contact and that's pretty intense because you don't know even what day it is like has it been four days or five days and you, you lose your sense of time and that you fall asleep but you actually don't know how long you slept for and so was it a 20 minute nap or was it an eight hour Oh sleep? my God. So, so were you totally losing track of days? No. So I, I went the other way where he would deliver my food once per day. And so I, I have a meditation practice. You know, as I said, I've done a bunch of retreats and I have a daily practice, but I'm by no means like advanced mm-hmm. meditation legend. And I actually found that quite difficult uh, in the space to be in a deep meditative state for most of the time is I'm just not used to that, that amount of time. Like, you know, after day five, you stop sleeping for the most part. And so you maybe catch like 20 minute naps here and there. And so you're up, you know, 72 hours in a row ish. And so I can meditate five, six hours a day, but like 18, 24 is, 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 it's, it's a lot. And so I, um, that combined with not knowing the days I thought for the first time it might be too intense. And so he would come once per day. We usually share, you know, a sentence or two. He'd drop off the food. If I had questions, um, we would talk and that would kind of, you know, you would at least know the day is done, how many days you've been in. Mm-hmm. 
But then sometimes the day felt quick and sometimes it felt like, where is he? You must have forgotten. And you know, in those <laughs> days, maybe you didn't sleep and you're, you're like, I've been here forever. So that time, your sense of time is definitely um, changed. Mm. So when you went in, did you think, okay, I'm going to do this for X amount of days? Or were you like, I'm going to just try to go as long as I can? So this is a funny story. It's kind of silly, but my friends, well, really only one friend and I have a resilience challenge. And so we both kind of compete. He, he's an amazing guy that you should meet also. And he has a wellness center as well and very into breath work and psychedelic medicines. And so we had this idea of the, the 510 challenge. And so it was a 10 day Vipassana retreat, a 10 day fast, water fast, a 10 minute ice bath, a 10 gram psilocybin experience and a 10 day dark retreat. And really silly, like no, no real point to it other than we both like to push ourselves and have seen a lot of value from like holding discomfort. And so really like being in these challenging situations changed my life. And when I was at rock bottom, that was something I grabbed onto was like, okay, if I can sit with fear and discomfort, then I'll be less afraid. And that was something that I, I'm not as, it's not as big a driving force in my life now, but six years ago, it like saved my life when I was, you know, kind of an addict and struggling. Um, and so we came up with this challenge and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do 10 days. And then I kind of got there and there was a guy who had also been on retreat for a very long time who had done five and saying, you know, five was a very intense experience. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe like if I could make it five, that's a great goal. And then once I got to five, I tried to just push it a little more. And after around the eight day mark, there wasn't much more happening. It wasn't, I wasn't gaining insights. I just felt, okay, I've, I've got what I came here for. I'm, I'm ready. Hmm. Okay. Key takeaways. Did you have hallucinations? Was there an experience of like DMT release? Was there yes, dopamine in, reset experience? Like, let's get into that. Yeah. And so like we can talk, there's a ton to go into here. So just stop me and like, we can dive into some parts more than others. But the, you know, the first two days, it's pretty interesting. You just kind of sleep. And I think when your body's not getting any light, it's used to like, hey, it's time to shut down. And like the deepest sleeps so much so that I actually custom ordered complete blackout blinds when I got home uh, because I, I just was like, I really like that space and the quality of rest. And so I think even if you found this interesting, but were scared, if you went and did this for two days for a weekend to just sleep and reset, I think it'd be a fantastic reset of just like this, like high quality sleep. And in that sleep, the dreams are so vivid and I don't know if that's because there's no light and like we are better able to enter REM or like Delta waves, whatever it is. I'm not sure about this. I'd like to learn more about the science, but yeah, wild dreams. So like you're there, you know, you can see them, you can visualize them. You feel so immersed. And for the first couple of days, I kept having dreams. I was outside of the retreat and then I would be like, oh man, like I day one, I left day two, like, uh, and then I would, I would come back and it was kind of funny. And every time after the dream, you wake up and you don't know where you are. And so something I realized you, you use your eyesight to indicate safety. So when you wake up, you don't know this cause you do it subconsciously, but you look around and like, Hey, I see my bearings. I'm, I'm safe. And so in the dark, one of the things 
you know, I felt like you kind of have this bravery meter. And so you would wake up and almost in a little bit of a panic, like, I don't know where I am. I can't catch my bearings. And I would have to breathe, like use some breathwork techniques of just like long, slow exhales to engage the parasympathetic, like the rest and digest system and just like, okay, there's fear here. It's clear. I can feel it. It's visceral. Let it go, you know, relax. And then that fear would come up often and not like terror, but just not like, Hey, someone's going to jump out and grab me, but subconscious fear of, I don't know what is around me. And I've used my eyesight to indicate safety my entire life. And now I'm not. And so, you know, I'd be under the covers. It's one thing. And then like, I remember the first day, like, okay, what am I, I gotta get to go and get this food. Like, oh, I gotta go and go to the bathroom. And you're kind of like little tiny steps, just like your brain thinks, Hey, maybe something's going to grab me. Um, like it's, it's just that kind of there on the subconscious level. And so it's really a test of, of fear almost the entire time and learning that when your uh, nervous system is stressed, how do you regulate it? And so that was like a very interesting practice that I'm like now taking home. And so what they taught me or what Scott taught me one of the nights was like, look, you notice you're feeling something in your body. Relax, 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 relax. Just keep focusing on that. So you're just breathing in through the nose, nice, slow breath, relaxing everything. And then in those moments in between thoughts, inserting a positive feeling. So maybe it's a time you were brave or uh, a time you were loving or a time you had integrity or a time you stood up for yourself and like inserting that feeling in the body in the moment while you're relaxed. And, And you could practice just like immediately erasing your fear in a situation that's actually pretty safe. So it was really interesting for like Oh, I'm afraid, but now I'm, I'm not. And so that was like an awesome revelation early. Uh, another one was just in the dreams themselves. I felt like, and this could be related to, it felt like a release. And, and so I've used 5-MEO and NNDNT. DMT. I don't know if that was happening, but it felt like I was de-armoring in my dreams. And what I mean by that, you know, I had one, with my family that was pretty intense and it was Christmas and I was there with them and it wasn't quite them, but I knew it was them. If that makes any sense, but like it didn't look like them, but I knew it was my family and they were yelling at me because I didn't want to leave the dark retreat. And like, they were like, you're so selfish. How could you do this? And something inside me, you know, my, my dad started crying and then gave me a hug and was like, I love you. And then something inside me like snapped and I woke up and I felt just like pure peace And like massive release, like slowly armor I'd had around my heart, protecting myself, being too analytical, started coming off. Uh, And so there would be these like really emotional times where I thought about my fiance or uh, just others in general. I had a dream that I was a black uh, woman school teacher in like the 1960s and like teaching people about equality. And like I just felt connected to others. And I think in psychedelic medicine experiences, you also have these times when your ego dissolves and you realize like, that's not you Mm -hmm. and humans are the same and you experientially feel that. And so there was some of that feeling of just being connected to others. Mm -hmm. And so I found that really powerful when I would wake up from these like intense dreams, this like feeling of, of release. Mm, That's amazing. You know, 
It sounds like there's such a strong overlap with all of these experiences with going into the darkness or with sitting with plant medicines. And also, you know, I love that you're also a student of Vipassana and I've been studying Tibetan Buddhism for about 15 years. And so even hearing some of that languaging of like armoring and, and the, the techniques, I mean, that's why I love Buddhist philosophy is like, Pema Chodron, I just love her teaching so much. And they've been such an ally for me in the plant medicine space, like a very valuable roadmap and guide. And so much of what these teachings speak to is like peeling back the layers and making peace and direct contact with this like primordial discomfort that is inherent in all living beings, just from the sheer fact of being alive and that we spend all of our lives like covering over and armoring up and armoring our hearts and protecting ourselves based on like deeply ingrained the way that we're geared to survive. And so when you're working with this, and this is what I love about the teachings is that they're so simple. They like codify getting off of the hamster wheel of habituation, the way that we're afraid. And it's like that knee jerk reaction to do the thing that brings us the comfort, like, oh, it's okay. So you're in a space where you don't have those knee jerk reactions. And it's like, with the teachings, they talk about, like Pema talks about, like recognizing what's happening, like when the trigger of fear happens and then um, refraining from like the, the knee-jerk reaction and then relaxing. And there's such an overlap between even like Tibetan Buddhism and somatics and somatic awareness and breath and like learning how to just slow down and make direct contact with it and then reframing it, reframing the situation and resolving to do it again and again and again. And so like, I, I wanna just kind of get to the heart of like touching those places in there of like the primordial discomfort, touching fear here. Does this resonate what I'm speaking to here? Yeah, totally. And so these feelings, which I would say were different from psychedelic medicines and the Vipassana was just, there's just more feelings of, of darkness and challenge and grief and death and it could have just been my experience but they mentioned a lot of people feel these ways also uh okay so there's this one i'm just gonna cut off that thought because one just popped into mind but there was also like a very sexual vibe hmm. uh and it was very interesting to feel that without any sight or stimulation and kind of know that like deep down we're actually sexual beings. And so I think in our lives, there's a lot of like, you know, especially based on religion, like, oh, sex is bad. And like, these desires are, you know, not moral. And to feel these like really crazy, like, I think what's happening is I have no stress, I have no stimulation in this space. Like, I mean, there was the bit of the fear I mentioned, but there's no like daily to do list and all these things. And you just kind of shut down. And in that shutdown, like, yeah, of course, your sex drive is increasing and you realize it's like a powerful energy that's actually part of being human and this whole like demonizing of it. And I'm, I'm pretty liberal anyways, but just, you know, you think you are sexual because of what you see and the stimulation you get externally and it's not the case. Like, and to feel it just as like part of you, that, that sexual energy was really cool. Uh, so that was something I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting. Mm -hmm. uh, but then going back to the, the dark, we can chat about that too. Then going back to the darkness, um, these dark thoughts, there was a lot around death. And I think six, seven days in, just kind of feeling, you know, I'm halfway through, I'm, I'm turning 37. And so as your life, as you age, your life appears to move faster because you have a longer 
mm-hmm. uh, reference period. So one year at 37 feels a lot different than a year at seven. It's just a feeling, hey, I'm halfway through my life. I'm happy with my decisions, with my actions, with where I'm at. And like, I'm going to die. And mm-hmm. then feeling like, you know what? My parents are going to die and they're going to be gone. And then in the darkness, you're like so alone and so isolated and not even like your body there for comfort. So if you can see things, you can see yourself in a mirror, your hands, it's like, hey, I'm a person. Mm-hmm. In the darkness, you're you're nothing, you're nobody. And there's nothing, there's nowhere you can look. You close your eyes, it looks the same. There's no stimulation there. And so this idea of like, if I died, am I alone? And then there's f- like real fear of mm. what happens. Cause it's like a normal life. This was another cool thing is like, you're always at like task layer thinking for most people. Mm-hmm. I get up, I have to do these 10 things like my kids, financial worries. I want to build this thing. I want to go to the gym. I got to do this. I want to eat that, you know, and, and then to go down a layer, like maybe you have your meditation practice or your way to get into flow state, but then to go down a la- another layer of like, what am I actually doing? You know, what do I want? What do I want emotionally? And then even the layer below that is like, why am I even here? Like, what is life? Like you, you get into that thinking, like, I don't know what, like four times a year, you know? And so you're in this space with no stimulation. You're like at that level and starting to, you know, you think about that is scary. It's like, okay, I'm going to be gone. Who am I? Do I still exist? And like feeling these things. And it was kind of destabilizing of, it just led to a lot of, of self-reflection and questioning. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like you were able to like really make direct contact with the grief and the fear of your own death, of your parents' death, the death of your loved ones? Like, were you able to like really make contact with it? I think that's a really good question. I think, so there's two stories here, but so, so one, just a direct answer to that question is I think what came through for me is that these things are necessary feelings to feel gratitude. Uh, grateful love and they're they're kind of like because you can accept them and we don't really do this in western society right we like okay the hero always wins you know life you're gonna have a long and lovely life and like people are, are naturally good and that's it and you know death at a funeral it's like a sad thing and it's very it's not even talked about so mm-hmm. there's like so much there because because we never even focus on it right and this is like a huge practice in eastern philosophies and I think what happens what why it's important is because when you process like grief and fear it allows you to more thoroughly experience love and gratitude and so the learning from that was like okay I'm gonna die and because of that like well who the fuck cares what people think about me for one (laughs) who cares about like you know did I make this much money or did this business was it successful and like coming out was like the craziest experience like just on par like the five minutes of like first coming out on par with any other experience in terms of intensity uh we can talk about that kind of at the end because there's more there's more Mm. questions so that was one piece on you know your question of like did you touch your your grief and then another one is uh, around fear and so i developed a pretty bad cough uh like four hours of the day, like starting in day three. Wow. And really? Do you think it was because of the damp humidity? I was going to ask you that when you said like a cave, I was like, damn, was that like hard on the lungs? Yeah. So my, it, it hadn't been for other people, but for, you know, I, I could, so I'm, I'm like, I had COVID last year and, uh, I was okay, but I, I got sick and then, um, 
So I was like a little like, oh, you know, I remember being nervous when it first ha- it happened, like right at the first lockdown and I was sick for a while and just like had trouble breathing, just shortness of breath. And it kind of felt like that. And I took a connector through Vancouver and my sister like sent me some article, you know, that like a oh new variant in Vancouver. And I was like, oh, shit, I got the fucking variant at the at the, you know. Uh, airport and now I'm here and now you're like coughing in this fearful environment and I'm also like hey they come check on you once a night like if you don't say anything they can just assume you're sleeping or like in deep meditation and so now I'm like okay I I, obviously I don't want to leave like I'm here for this challenge and like my identity was tied up and like finishing the challenge which is kind of like you know maybe that's ego based or whatever but yeah I'm aware like I was I wanted to think of myself as resilient and not like soft. And so I'm coughing away and I'm getting afraid. Like what if nobody comes and I'm just stuck here. And then I was like, what if I die? And I'm in this fucking cave alone without my fiance, without any of my family, like, okay, what if I'm actually sick? Like, are they going to take me to a doctor? Is there a hospital I'm out in the woods? And then I remember my fiance being like, yeah, there, you know, somebody who was 40, got a case of COVID, their blood oxygen levels dropped in one day and they ended up on a ventilator. And so obviously like you're sitting there with no stimulation. I'm just thinking about this stuff and I'm coughing so hard for like hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and so day three, and then I wake up and I'm fine. And then day goes on day four, I'm like coughing again, like whole night. And then day five, and then I'm finally like, yeah, like you thought it took me not the smartest tool in the shed. It took me a lot longer to figure it out, but there's dust. There's like the, the, uh, material from the the clay like kind of comes off and so I was sitting on this giant meditation cushion and it, it didn't happen the first two days because I didn't really leave the bed but then I was meditating a lot and that every time I'd sit on the cushion huge poof of dust right in the face and so I didn't notice this happening and so I'm inhaling this stuff that I think I'm, I'm just allergic to and like cough like crazy like oh, you know like kind of spitting and like and uh, so that went away like by day six I had essential oils and a few other things that he brought for me and then I was fine but so yeah I was thinking okay I'm gonna this is it like I'm gonna die and then there was a weird thing of like you should get out and leave but then I was like no like fuck that I can make it like you know like you have to drag me out of here to like end this thing. <laughs> Uh, so there was a lot of that whole, and maybe that's what triggered some of the thoughts around death in the first place was just this like feeling of when you are sick, you don't, you, nothing matters anymore. You just want help from others. And so you think you're so big and tough and strong and important. And then when you're sick, it's like, I just want a hug from my mom. You know, I want Mm -hmm. someone to care for me. Mm -hmm. I want to know I feel loved. And so that's like, just a really interesting reminder. Mm, I love that you just said that a hug from your mom because every time I get sick too, I'm like, somebody hold me. It's like, we're just so human and that's it. It's just like making peace with the impermanence of reality, you know, that it's it's just all in flux all the time. And that is emotionally hard for most of humanity to grasp, I think. Um, and what about airflow? Was there ventilation? Yeah, so he you couldn't hear it. It was like a noiseless fan, but I didn't know. And like, after he told me it was there, like when we left, but I was like, oh man, there's no airflow. And it feels like three days. I also came into this with like no prep. And I mentioned that was <laughs> like, it's like someone driving a car 200 miles an hour and just like right into a fucking wall, like boom, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, even to like, I was in the, in the airport and I missed the flight because I was 
like a connecting flight because I went to the wrong gate because I was like looking at my email and Twitter and like, you know, coffee's on the way in, like just right into like uh-huh. no sugar diet, no coffee, and like in the darkness. And I was like, holy shit, this is such a hardcore yeah. change. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that was like just, just pretty, pretty wild. Mm. Uh, the change in, in pace and what that, what that does to you. What did you, what's like a key takeaway around mental toughness and mental resilience? Like, could you notice the way that the thoughts you were thinking would like immediately impact your biology? Were you just noticing like, Oh, more paying attention to like the narratives of what was going through your mind? Because it's like, you're just there with your thoughts really. Yeah. And so Like in in Vipassana, it's really interesting because you notice that these thoughts come up and you become aware of them. And then you also notice even deeper your emotions come up. And so like without any stimulation, like you think like, hey, I got angry because, you know, I didn't get this job or something. And that's not actually what's happening. Like a lot of times these emotions come up in the body and then we associate meaning to them and we may not even know where they're from. And so when you're meditating with nothing there and you have this huge burst of anger, or sadness, you start to realize like, I actually have no control over my mind. I can watch and be aware, but I have no control over the, the process. Like you really don't. And so the dark retreat, same, it's very similar. Like I would get in these loops thinking about like my career in crypto. Like I recently left, uh, I was working at Ethereum for four years, the, in the Ethereum ecosystem and had a really awesome role there. And I left to build something in the wellness space because you know, the things I'm building helped me deal with addiction and, and just become like, get my life back. And they were just really passionate about it. But then I started, you know, the greed started rolling around like deep greed, like you shouldn't have left. You would have been like worth hundreds of millions. And like, what were you doing? And, and like, mm-hmm. all like, oh, if I only bought at this date or sold at this date or like built this company, like crazy questioning. And what's really weird is like in, but possibly you can make it stop because you can open your eyes, you can, you can leave, you meditate for like usually like an hour to two hours at a time like this. There's no, there's no off button. And the darkness is like, especially in the first couple of days felt so tight around my head. It felt mm-hmm. like I was like just being crumpled to get like squished in an anvil. Like, and you're just like, no matter where you look, you can't get your bearings. So just the intensity was, was so high. And then, you know, you asked about the fan and I was like, okay, I can't breathe either. And I was just like, <laughs> if I had a window to like breathe out of, like it felt so claustrophobic and tight at times. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, your resilience is like forged in those moments because they're so hard. And like, I think, yeah, even in, in psychedelic medicines, you have these moments that are just really challenging that you're not usually put through in normal life. And and like these, I look at them, I feel like your body, your emotional body is like tied in knots mm-hmm. from experiences you have when you're young that you don't process. And so they like come up and by actually like going into them, like, hey, this fear is here, this grief is here, this like fear, like this like claustrophobia is here, like feeling into it, breathing through it, the knot loosens. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a lot of moments like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like the quintessential cocoon of metamorphosis, like really just so embodies that to me. And so is there anything that you so distinctly left behind and so distinctly received something completely new on the other side of that cocoon? I think there's an awareness. It's not like left behind. It's just kind of my work personally. Like I'm 
yeah, just very hard on myself. I grew up in a pretty in a family that was pretty critical and it was very apparent to me at a young age that like external success and validation from others was what was required to be loved. And so just like self-love is, is, is tough. And so just being in those moments, there was just more awareness that like, Hey, you're just so critical the way you're talking to yourself. Like these things you're thinking are like insane. And it was so very clear they're insane. Um, but they're not gone. And I've never found from all this work, like they've changed and my behaviors have completely changed to like where I'm a person I'm like really proud of now, but there's still like, am I lovable? You know, uh, mm -hmm. these like deep core beliefs. And I, I just think they're like work. They're like, it's like a life's work to change these things. So I really think in any experience you go through, can I like in one experience fully leave something behind? I, I, I personally, and this could be, this is just my personal experience. I think the answer is no. I think it's very difficult. And like in that moment, you can have a breakthrough, but then you come back to your life. And, and like, even this time coming back to my life, the changes, like, do these things stick? And I found from psychedelic medicine use, Vipassana, you come back and it's like, you're, you're on fire for a month and then you kind of get sucked back into, into life. So it's like, how do you make your life, Mm -hmm. the work. So I, I don't actually think there was something like very specific. There was a few other learnings too. So like, um, one interesting one is that I have energy in the morning all the time. And I thought it was related to solving problems. Like I drink a coffee and I'm, I'm ready to go, but that energy is just there. It's just natural and it's just happening. And so it made me realize I don't need to be finding all these new problems to get excited about this energy is naturally going to happen. And so I should use it very tightly when it's there because it's like a superpower. Mm -hmm. And on day six, it was just a full flow state. And so I felt like in all that task-based thinking I'd mentioned before, I like opened an umbrella, all the tasks had been thought about, they were done and all these things, because in your day, like your days slightly change, you have to do a bunch of stuff always feels like things are being juggled but if you actually just take a five-day break the juggling stops and you can like you know it's like a, a, a rainfall has ended the ocean is calm and you can easily see how everything fits together so it was just moments of flow and something that i took away and why i actually started microdosing was like i need one day off a week to get into this state to allow things to fall together and no matter how much work you have not allowing for that space, you'll not be effective or be able to see below the task-based thinking. And so that's not a change in, in feeling about myself, but it is an absolute realization of I'm more effective, mm -hmm. better, able to be aware if I have space. And so I've created that space. Mm, I really love that perspective that maybe transformation isn't like a, you know, flick of a switch. I mean, I also have that perspective that it's very much layer upon layer upon layer and that we can sort of establish like a new baseline, but it's always peeling back layers. And when I have people ask me, you know, well, if, if plant medicines or these experiences are so transformational, like, why do you have to keep coming back? Like, why do you have to keep engaging? And it's like, cause there's this kind of always more stuff like to kind of peel back those layers and go deeper and deeper. And so, yeah, I'm curious, like, it sounds like new priorities are emerging for your personal and professional life. If there's any sort of top priorities that you're like restructuring coming out of that. And then anything you do want to share about microdosing? Yeah. So I, yeah, hundred percent. And just before we get into that, I can just, you know, the experience of leaving the dark retreat was like insane. 
And so if you're looking for peak experiences and this kind of stuff calls to you, you know, you like psychedelic medicines, you're into meditation, you're into asceticism. One thing I also realized is why all cultures have restriction, like all religions, you know, fasting, prayer, these styles reduce stim these things reduce stimulation, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more restriction you have, the more you can enjoy regular moments. And so you imagine eight days, eight nights of restriction, no stimulation. And mm -hmm. I couldn't breathe these, these fears. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving today. Mm -hmm. It's happening. I'm getting out. And as soon as I made the decision to go, like run to the door, rip it open, trying to get it open. Like I can't get it open. I'm like throwing stuff everywhere, open it up. And you can just see it's, it's like maybe two hours before sunrise, still dark. And I felt like I could see every atom, like every electron, proton, neutron, just sparkling. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, I come out. Each breath of air, it felt like I was drinking like cold ocean not ocean because it's salt water, but cold, fresh water through oxygen, just like so refreshing down to the bottom of my lungs. And the smells, like I went down, I was just holding the earth, feeling the earth, looking at the stars, like just in amazement with the power of life and, and how interesting our senses are, like ama absolute amazement. And then watch the colors change. So you know, first just the browns and greens, because you can only see a reflection of, of light, right? And you don't really realize that everything is actually dark without the sun. That's that's what it's all dark. So you're just looking and then you kind of start seeing the greens and browns. Slowly the sun starts coming up. You see it peek over in, into the sky starts turning blue. Then the sun goes over this crest. I'm seeing like the greens of the forest, just like, like really bright greens. And then, you know, it, uh, the ray hits me in the eye. And it just like transported me back to a childhood moment skiing with my dad of just like pure bliss, be a sunny day, like outside. Mm -hmm. And then a, a dog comes running up the path, this giant like husky dog. And it's the first, you know, being I've seen and kind of like looking in its eyes, giving the dog a hug and mm. just, just feeling so connected. And they, they had a stream in the mountains, like ice cold. So take off all my clothes, go into the stream, cold plunge, like, Bam, you know, and then they had a wood-fired sauna right nearby. So throwing some wood in and in the sauna now, putting essential oils over the rocks, like, you know, like that, that whatever four-hour period, like how much joy was packed into that and sensation versus the entire eight days. It just was so stark, like, wow, the simple things are amazing. Uh, and sometimes by giving yourself less you can enjoy other things more, which is pretty counterintuitive. Wow. Yeah. For those listening, it's starting to pour rain here in my little casita in the jungle of Hawaii. So if you're hearing that downpour, but one of the things that I really feel like I'm hearing too, and like the one of the key takeaways is that there is this life force that lives within us and that it's more about connecting to what is already there and what already is within. And when I hear you talk about, you know, tapping into a flow state in day six and the sexual energy that's already there and like these inherent human tendencies and the life force that is in us already. 
And I think we get so stuck on like the way that our external environment dictates our internal reality and the story of me and this is how it is. This is who I am. But it sounds like the experience you have and going into darkness is like such a reversal of that where we're really going within and looking at like such a our humanness at the core. Yeah, I think you captured it captured it perfectly. And in that core, getting to it, you're in this maze of, you know, all these different thoughts and like thought loops and challenges. And and you sort of through that, it's like a, you're just wandering the maze of your personality and existence in a different way. And it's different. And, you know, comparison to meditation or psychedelic medicines, it's just another tool you have to change state to gain awareness mm-hmm. about these things. And so I would highly highly recommend it if you're afraid even more so I was a a funny story I was afraid of the dark as a kid like really (laughs) scared you know like I wouldn't like my feet out of the bed I wouldn't if I was in the basement like turning off the light I would run up the stairs like something's gonna grab me I was scared of like all these so coincidental you talk about the universe but I was my first movie I was ever afraid of was this movie witches by Roald Dahl and they like turn kids into mice and then squish them I remember the that. First one. I remember yeah. that movie. Well, we're the same age. You're 36. I'm so am I. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. So first movie, it's not like it's pretty funky movie. And so uh, if you saw it now, you're like, what, what is this guy talking about? But yeah, I saw it when I was really young, and it was the first thing I was afraid of that witches were going to grab me and like turn me into a mouse and smush me. And and on the plane on the way there, there's a remake. Yes, yeah, so, so I watched the movie and I'm in there and I'm like, the, her face cackling with the teeth is like coming up in the darkness. Mm. And it started driving like other things <laughs> I'm afraid of. Uh, some s- silly Care Bears character, the movie It, it all these villains. And they would come up and over time, I developed a relationship where they were actually humans. I kind of think of them as an old mall like Santa Claus who's just off duty, kind of smoking a cigarette, just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I remember when we used to scare you as a kid, that was our job mm-hmm. and and no fear anymore. And so the fear of the dark actually completely by the end is gone. And wow. I now feel a craving to be in that space so much. So I bought these blinds to improve my sleep, but to also sit in this area of no stimulation. Mm-hmm. And that was a big fear for me that led to a lot of other fears in life. And it kind of was the closure of my path around, you know, I've been afraid of a lot of things. What are people going to think of me and like getting in fights and like being mm-hmm. physically violent and all these things growing up. And now it's been six, seven years on this path of facing my fears. And this was kind of the closure of like the last one. And, and there'll be fears in the future, obviously, but mm-hmm. it just felt like a nice closing point where I said goodbye to all these things that terrified me as a, as a child. That's so funny. Did you grow up in Toronto? I grew up in a small city outside of Toronto called uh, Guelph. Oh, I know Guelph. Yeah, I used to play water polo against the Guelph team. I grew up in Montreal and we're the same age. So, and it's funny because you said uh, the movie It was also horrifying for me as a child. I used to have nightmares about that movie. So there were, we're of the same generation. We grew up in, in the same pocket of the world. So that's fun. Um, cool. And do, do you feel like you've been able to just like feel more open to the flow of energy in your life? So when I came back, it was quite challenging. Um, I'm pretty busy right now. So we're building a a brand new space. We're really excited about a mobile app. It's just very intense and I'll work Mm -hmm. 10 hours a day in front Mm -hmm. of my computer. And and I love what I'm doing. Like it's Mm -hmm. actually my life mission. I'm helping so many people. 
we get a chance to be creative. Can we just pause and tell people about what that is, the app and the space that you're building? Just tell people about Inward. Yeah, well, I'd found that meditation, psychedelic medicines really worked for me, but then I'd seen them not work for many of my friends. And I found meditation was a really tough one to get into. And psychedelic medicines are amazing tools, but I saw a lot of people go on retreat and, and wanting to make change. And when they came back, struggle to actually implement change. And so I was just thinking about this for many years. How do I take you know, a mainstream person. So 86% of people have no mindfulness practice um, and help them. And, you know, people who are into healthy eating and diet and all this stuff, but then it comes to mental health and there's like nothing there and everything's kind of like, oh, there's something wrong with you. You need to see this doctor and, or it's, it's tied into spirituality, which people don't vibe with. So it's really at this idea of how can I help more people that are in the mainstream community feel better. And um, yeah, having watched my friends use psychedelics and they're, they're not mentally, there are mental issues that psychedelics can really help with like immediately. So depression and PTSD, like resetting the nervous system, but for the, the standard person who's like mentally healthy and stressed, uh, I found them on their own to, to be lacking in terms of like creating behavior change. And so we built this entire mission around a physical space. People can go and meet up and the physical space is healthy and inspiring. And so using uh, saunas and cold plunges to get people in their body and share their emotions. And so a standard thing, you, you walk in 40 person sauna, crazy sound system, completely blacked out. There's like a guide playing a drum, guiding you through what you're afraid of, feeling it like removing I your sweat. Fucking love you know, and then it. you all go into the ice. <laughs> yeah. And then you go into the ice bath together and you're like eye gazing with somebody, which would normally be awkward, but because of the adrenaline from the ice bath, you like completely connect, you connect your breathing. Maybe you're in there until you're shivering, you come out and shiver through a trauma release exercise. And so that might be one class on release. And then you know, out at night, it's a social place. And so instead of going to a bar where there's alcohol and like it's a less conscious environment, we can still have the same like level of design, inspiration, but it's super fun and cool. And so there's that social space, but then when you're at home, you need a mindfulness practice too. And so we focused on breath work and the, the way we use breath work is, is a bit different. We're using electronic music. It's kind of like a fitness class. So it's not meant to get you to enlightenment. It's just, Hey, I've never used mindfulness before. I want to use this practice that makes me feel good and is fun. And so it's just your first step using all these techniques, but making them kind of cool and fun and, and lighthearted and inspiring instead of, you know, I always felt like as a, as an addict before you go to an AA meeting, which is an amazing organization, but it would be like in the basement of a church and someone's like, God, oh, you have this problem. And it just didn't feel good. And like fluorescent and lighting. So it's for, <laughs> yeah. It's hard for people to share that, like what they're struggling with. Cause it's like, makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. And like, in reality, there's not everybody's struggling. And so I thought, couldn't we have these healing spaces be beautiful and like look cool and be fun and, and kind of replace like the, the idea of going to drink like six and 10 beers at a nightclub or a bar, it's insane that that's still a thing. And so, yeah, we're really using um, hot, cold, other ancient modalities that have existed for a long time, kind of wrapping them in a cool container and allowing people to get in touch with their body, with their emotions and, and share and connect. And so that's kind of my, my passion is to like bring this into the world. That's amazing. And for people listening, I fucking love your website, the Inward website. I, I just think it's such a great addition to people's daily practices. So highly, highly recommend checking it out. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're super stoked. Yeah. So that's really exciting. And then 
you know, so back to the question was, was anything changed? I kind of came back and this is my dream and I'm working so hard on it. And it's been two years and it's so rewarding and exciting, but you know, even if something is that good and that happy and drives that much energy, it has a dark side. And so I kind of came back and I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? Like 10 hours a day, I'm in front of my computer. This is insane. Like pushing it forward all the time. Like what the hell, you know, I, I was just out in nature and it felt so good. And immediately it was very jarring. Uh, it's just like, should I be doing this? And then, you know, over time I got super excited about it. The problems were solving and like, you know, being around people and leading and facilitating and designing and creating. It's amazing. And so I felt the energy again. Uh, but I, I was very clear to put some practices in place. So, and eventually I'll get overwhelmed. I just, that's my personality and I start working too hard and some of these habits will, will happen, but you know, I'm, I'm back at the gym, I'm intermittent fasting, I'm taking the day off, which the biggest one is just taking the one day off and the microdosing. And the microdosing has been so helpful because it mm -hmm. immediately sets me into, mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about task tasks and to-do lists. I'm just kind of enjoying walking outside and it's made all the other habits just kind of fall into place. And I was wondering why, like I'd never struggled with bad food like that with like so much coffee. And it, I was like, why am I struggling so much? And the micro dosing was like, it's like, was, I felt like I was eating like literally a mush Mario mushroom and it was just boosting my willpower significantly, probably because I was allowing my body to turn off. Like heart rate variability was increasing on days I did it. And I honestly, before it was kind of like, I don't know if it's a real thing. Like it's fun to do and go for a walk, but you know, the studies are kind of mixed. Like, is it actually having a benefit? And now I've changed my tune completely to, to mm -hmm. like, this is actually like essential for where right. I am in my life right now. And so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. How much are you consuming and are you working with psilocybin primarily for a microdose? I, I'm actually, so I've always liked microdosing LSD. Mm -hmm. I find it just more precise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm using a one-tenth of yep. a tab around that in, in like a liquid format in a drop. Mm -hmm. And kind of when I wake up in the morning, I'll take it and then go for a walk. Mm -hmm. I've never been about really microdosing and working, even when I was mm -hmm. doing it before. I think this idea of like, oh, it increases your focus mm -hmm. to do like busy work, that seems insane to me. I think it like, mm -hmm. it stops my thoughts about, egoic things and tasks and it just makes me present and if i'm present i feel grateful because i just notice wow this coffee tastes great mm -hmm. you know or man that sky's really blue or like this song sounds amazing and so i find for me it just gives me a three hour to five hour window of i really enjoy my life and so that is absolutely not meant to be spent at least for me like coding or working is meant to be spent like connecting or outside mm -hmm. in nature. And so I find it's just like a, like a mind power up. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Um, I'm excited to have you back on to do a whole next episode on breath work and the power of breath work at some point, hopefully soon. Is there any question that I didn't ask you that you wish I asked you? Well, that's a good one. Yeah. I think if you're listening, my last point is that you probably have an interest in psychedelic medicines and they're amazing, but if they haven't, you know, caused like real behavior change and that's something you're looking for, I wouldn't give up. I think combining them with professional help, somebody like Laura and like really working through your core beliefs, your unmet needs, these styles of things uh, has a ton of value. And then also, you know, 
community, mm-hmm. physical space, doing stuff for your body. I think it's kind of like thinking through, hey, I want to be happy. There's a whole package of things I can do. And so to people, you know, you mentioned, oh, why do you keep going back to this thing? It's like going to the gym, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, I don't, I didn't work out for three months and now I'm done forever. It's the same, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like you're making your mind stronger. You're getting better at processing emotions. And so I think looking, what I've learned from my travels and like working with thousands of people is it's a holistic experience and everything is important. And so sometimes I've been like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not changing, but the reality is I am over time. And so I think for people who are, you know, stuck in a rut or disappointed, there's just so many options. So don't give up. Mm. Okay. I want to end with one more question. Uh, first three words to, that pop to mind when you think about this notion of psychedelic leadership. We like role model. So I think, and what I mean by that is that I really, I don't even want to give example, like I won't want to give people advice because anything can work. And so the only thing I like to do is lead with my own experiences and then explain like, Hey, this worked for me. This is where I'm at. And then show like, yeah, my life is better. Like I used to be, you know, not, I don't want to say the bad person because it wasn't bad at core, but like my actions were not of high integrity and like people noticed. And now, you know, I'm like a leader I have a team. Like people look up to me, they respect me. They're like telling me all the time I'm like helping. So role model is one is like, are you actually okay, you've done all the psychedelic work, but are you doing the work in your, in your real life? And so it's just like quality of character is, is the one that like mm-hmm. kind of popped to mind first. Uh, the next is, is science backed, let's say. And that's just what I mean by that is you're not just taking the medicines. You're kind of like combining. And I like that you, you do this in your work, you're combining from all these fields where there's a ton of knowledge, whether it's like indigenous practices or, you know, modern psychotherapy, uh, just coaching. Mm-hmm. You're kind of taking from the literature that works and combining them with the psychedelic medicines. And that's, I think the leadership is really getting it out there to people that, Hey, you, you don't just take this and your, your depression is over, you know, you need to pair it with everything else. So there's like, and then the third one is, is work mm-hmm. and not being afraid of the the challenges. Like, you know, we kind of talked about the dark retreat and these resilience challenges, but like psychedelic medicines and recreation, great, super awesome. Love it. Would definitely, you know, take those dive and go to concert, no problems at all. But wearing a blindfold, mm-hmm. talking about what your greatest fears are, your greatest struggles and going into them to process them. It's, it is not fun or easy. It's intense and pretty insane. And so, I think if you, you know, to me, psychedelic leadership is like being ready for work, being a role model in your own life, and then taking from everything around that's that's not just the medicines. Mm, beautiful. I love that answer. I so appreciate you, Robbie, on every level. You're an amazing human, and I'm just so grateful to know you and to get to know you more. It's just been a joy. Thanks so much, Laura. I'm grateful that you invited me. It's always nice to just like chat and hang, tell your story and feel listened to and heard. And so, yeah, I'm just, just appreciative that you were willing to have me on. Oh, one more quick question. How much did that retreat cost you? Uh, I think it was around a hundred bucks a day oh, wow. kind of thing. So it wasn't crazy pricing, you know, maybe a thousand dollars in total. If anyone is listening to this and feels inspired to build a dark retreat and wants to build it with like a comfortable king size bed, I'll pay double the price for that. 
and I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) I think he is upgrading the bed and they're they're building a second. They're building two more right now. So Mm -hmm. there'll be three on the property. Okay. Uh, So whole whole new. Definitely check out Sky Cave Retreats. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Robbie. Such a pleasure. So good. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. I'm so grateful that you keep tuning in with me. It really means the world to me. And if you've been enjoying this show, I would so appreciate it if you could share this podcast with a friend or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you feel called, please leave me a review on iTunes. And if you'd love to be in touch with me about anything at all, please feel free to reach out and send me a message either on Instagram at livefreelauraD or through my website, livefreelauraD.com. I'm going to be leaving you with this song called Intend and Surrender. Again, that I just thought was the perfect fit for this episode with Robbie. And it's by my dear friend, Tara Davina, who's not only an amazing musician, but she is just an amazing human. And she's also an amazing Vedic astrologer. And as I mentioned in the intro, I'll be including her email in the show notes if you want to get in touch with her. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. Everything that happens is the best thing that could happen is the only thing that could happen is the best thing that could happen everything that happens is the best thing that could happen is the only thing that could happen is the best thing that could
on the other side of running from this moment breathing in breathing out nothing else matters but being here now breathing in breathing out nothing else matters but
the only thing that could happen is the best thing that could happen.